Hello, this is the World Journeys Podcast, and may the journey never end. Hello, hola, bonjour, konnichiwa, and welcome to the World Journeys Podcast, the podcast which discusses living abroad, travel, backpacking, culture, food, activities, anything you care to name that fit within the travel theme. My name is Andrew and this is the second episode only of this podcast today, Series 1, Episode 2, continuing on with living in Japan as a broad theme. I'm speaking to a very special guest, the charismatic Dean H. Rutzler who has lived in Japan for over 10 years now. It's a very entertaining interview, uh, so I'm very much looking forward to presenting it to you. So, without further ado, let's begin. Welcome, Dean. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Tally ho. To tally ho, <laughs> indeed. Tally ho, indeed. So, um, Dean, tell us how long have you uh, been living in Japan and, uh, like, what sort of work you've done, just a a summary of your life in Japan. With Japan, okay, I came here in 1998 as a jet here in Morioka. I was the first jet in, I believe, Tohoku, definitely Iwate, and probably one of the few in the country to ever work full-time in the special education system. And, um... After that, I went back to the States for about a year. I worked for a company in their Japanese department, their quote-unquote international department, but was actually dealing with their Japanese customers um, as about 20% of their clientele was Japanese, a mail-order company. I came back here. I taught for three years in Nishine, which is now part of the Hachimantai city near here. Uh, the town of Nishine, and I worked in elementary school and junior high school. And now I work at a girls' Catholic high school called Shinayuri, and it's probably Iwate's equivalent of a finishing school. It's definitely where the local doctors and lawyers and politicians um, send their daughters to go. It, it, academically, it's one of the top five and it's probably the, probably if you want to be an overprotective parent, it's the best place you can send your daughter. We start yelling at the girls once their skirts get up over the knees. School policy. You personally are yelling at the, do- at the girls? I don't bother with things like that. I yell at them when they don't speak English. <laughs> and... Tell us, what has kept you... So, so how long have you lived in Japan in this stint? Uh, this stint has been about 10 years, 10 plus. To, this, this latest stint, 12, 12, mm. 12, 11, 12 years this time around. And what, uh, what's the thing that's kept you here in Japan? Oh, boy. First, it was the Bush administration, that it was the crappy economy back in the States, and... Now it's the, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So basically, it's not so much the allure of Japan, but... Um... Oh, absolutely not. I came here 
having lived for two years in Finland anyways. And, um, I find that a lot of my peers here who their first experience living overseas, they really come to love Japan. You know, it's this great, you know, the whatever, the manga, the whatever, the, the, their ability of the language. But it's, it's your first experience overseas. And it's kind of like the first time you have sex. It's never quite going to be the same. You know, it's, it's the first experience overseas. You know, it's your first, your first, you know, I think you know what I'm saying. I think the listeners know what I'm saying. So, um, and I had that experience in Finland, so I came here slightly jaded already. <laughs> so what you're saying is that despite having lived here for 12 years, basically continuous, yeah, uh, you you feel a bit a bit jaded with the country. I don't feel jaded as much as the fact that if it's the first country you lived in, it's the it's the place you first experienced living overseas. It's your special place. So it's you. It's uh, you're saying yeah. for the other people that came for, here, for a, for there a is a romantic attachment. A romantic attachment to the country, which I have to Finland. I still look back and I'm kind of wistful about the time that I had there. Well, we'll talk about Finland a little bit later, but uh, for now, let's concentrate on Japan. Yeah. What are what what are some of the the, the positives about living in Japan? What do you really enjoy? about the country, culture, food, etc.? Well, first and foremost, the food is awesome. I mean, okay, you miss the really spicy stuff every once in a while, but Japan is unique in that their own food supply is one of the best and healthiest in the world, and it's a rich, affluent country, so it can afford to import import curries from India, import half the menu from Korea, half the menu from China. So, I mean, the food here is just excellent. You know, I'm surprised I don't weigh 300 pounds. You know, it's a, there's always something good to eat. Well, but, but how about positives for the, the, the experience of sort of living and teaching? Living in, and teaching? In Japan. Um, well, for one thing, I mean, I, I have to say this would be more specific to mine. I've always enjoyed the challenge. I like to teach. I liked teaching when I was in Finland. I like working with people. I, uh, I have a pretty young soul, a pretty young heart. I said you know, I, I like working with kids, so. I have to say that for, for me personally, the the best thing about living, working in Japan has been the students. For yeah, the, oh, the students are great. Kids are kids, you know, and there's just, you know, you can affect them, you know, before their society wraps around them and changes them and it's you know you, you come down sometimes as you go up you know I'm, I've been working with Japanese kids from the elementary school kids up to high school and you see how the machine just kind of grabs these kids and I found it very interesting. I mean, I've just finished up over the last week, and uh, I got uh, I got a whole pile of of from from three of my second year classes. Mm -hmm. The JT very kindly got them all to write like a thank you goodbye note to me. Uh -huh. So there was three classes, so about a hundred, I guess about a hundred little thank you notes, and uh -huh. and some of them were really, uh, really touching. Yeah, uh, and it really has made the experience and the frustrations because I feel like I feel like every day in Japan I just get a little bit more frustrated and wound up um, whether it be service at the post office or um, you know having to to wear learners plates on my car even though I've driven for 20 years yeah the thing is is, is that 
if you do stay in Japan as long as I do, is you realize that if you get worked up over every single one of those things, you know, you have to. I mean, there are times where you have to get worked up. You have to scream at somebody for telling you shogunai, they can't do you anything. There are times, but as, as you stay here longer, you learn to pick and choose your places. You know, and you notice that with people who've been here last. I mean, my third year here, I probably was ready to, you know, curse out somebody, in, you know, every day. And you just, after a while, you realize it's going to eat you up and chew you up and spit you out. And if you're going to stay here long term, you got to learn how to let some of this stuff bounce off. Mm, that said, sure. you also learn that there are just some times where Japan goes too far with being Japan. Such as? You know, it is not okay to go up to people and kancho them, you know. And what's kancho? Because kancho. I'm pretty sure most of the listeners, if okay. there are any, um, okay, well. will have no idea what that is. Okay, well, anybody who has ever worked in a Japanese elementary school will have had the little kids go up and stick your fingers up your butt, you know, through the pants, of course, but it's like little funny. Kancho is Japanese for enema, and it's the, the small, it's the Japanese school kids most funniest thing, you know, they, they just think it's hilarious, the obsession with the foreign anus, or whatever it is, or other, I imagine Japanese adult anuses too. So, yeah, well, I, um, I, I was teaching in a class, a once a month class with elementary school kids uh, uh-huh. through from about, I guess about six years old through to about 11 or 12. And uh, I certainly had that done. I had no idea until someone told me a few months ago that it, it had a name. Uh, <laughs> and, but um, uh, I don't know if you've ever taken like sort of elementary school classes not outside school but but uh basically i was attacked and abused physically by the elementary kids every single class actually um i'm lucky enough for the fact that i'm about six one and <laughs> at all times over 200 pounds so uh I'm physically intimidating. I, I actually never got my first concho till I was working at the finishing school that I continue to work now. I just scared those kids. They're like, this guy is even so big, I don't want to risk pissing him off. But I guess what I'm saying is that there are just some Japanese habits that are so contrary to what, you know, what we find is polite. Like a, a perfect example is uh, staring. You know, he, it's not okay to stare at people in other countries. It's not okay for Japanese people to stare at other Japanese people. It's not okay for foreigners to stare at Japanese people. But apparently it is totally okay for Japanese people to stare at a foreigner. It's, you know, it's things like that. You know? I, I have to say, I haven't had that a lot. I've had it very occasionally. Uh, if I if I compared it to experiences in other countries, it's got nothing on the staring you get in India. Okay. Which can be actually quite intimidating. Um, and I'm not a woman, and I think it would be a hundred times worse. See, I just stare back, you know. <laughs> it's one of those things you get used to. And it was really funny because I, I was, I, in fact, this was uh, yesterday in the morning, and I was at my bus stop, and I imagine I'm a pretty good sight there. I'm still wearing a, my face is covered, you know, <laughs> like a Muslim woman with a, what do they call it, the sah or whatever. But my face is covered. I've got a cap on. And, and uh, there's this Japanese guy who's I must have been about 60 plus years old. He's just staring at me from his seat of the bus 
while the buses stopped there. I was taking to the bus. And then I looked, I started staring back at him. This lasted about five seconds that he rolls his eyes, <clears throat> exhales and looks away. You know, it's just like, it was so terrible for me to stare at him. It was such a terrible thing for him to have to go through to have me staring at him. Yet he had been spending at least 15 seconds staring at mine. You know, whatever. Strangely clothed existence. Sometimes it's not even what the Japanese do. It's the fact that it's against their rules, too. Well, maybe they're just looking for a, a way to break the rules that yeah. they don't feel they're going to have to... It's just some things... A lot, a lot of the things about Japan are just... They sometimes get magnified because of the monoculturalism. You know, it's just like people talk about Japan being a racist country. And I'm like, yeah, America is a racist country. Finland is a racist country. Whatever country you go to, a minimum of 20, and it, in most countries I'd say 40 or 50% of the people are racist. The problem is in Japan. Nobody says anything. Nobody does anything about it. It's so monocultural. There's no things to counter it. You know, it's like in America, if I say something bad about an Asian or a Muslim, half the country is going to, you know, somebody's going to somebody's gonna chew me, a new one. You know, it's just like in America, we're such a confrontational culture, you don't say things like that. You know, you, you learn to not say things like that. Japan, the, the level of non-Yamato Japanese in this society is 1%. Mm. And there's just, it's, it's, not, it's not a maliciousness, it's an unawareness. And that's something I think, like, if you come from a country like Australia, UK, or America, I think that's one of the things that really strikes you when you first arrive in Japan. Especially, like, if you're in Tokyo, for example, or Yokohama, or, or you know, where there's a, there, there are more foreigners. It's, it's, it's not so obvious, but, like, as soon as you head out of out of that area away from the tourist spots we're living here in Iwate mm -hmm. uh, immediately you suddenly realize that you know you leave your house you could you could walk this the streets all day and not see another foreigner um, which means that basically everyone you see is Japanese Japanese the the Japanese birth certificate system uh, I think when you talk about racism in Japan I think that, that, that there, there's a hint to how it's perceived here because um, the birth certificates actually will list your ethnicity, uh, which I'm, you know, I'm sure you don't in mm -hmm. Australia. But not only that, you know, if you're, you could be still classed as Korean if your family has lived in the country for over 400 years or something. Yeah, it's just that there's this some kind of obsession with the Yamato Japanese and that somehow that we are unique and different. And, I, you know, it's something that is at the core of every culture. The Finns had a belief that they did things the best. My country, America, arrogantly pronounces its elitism to the rest of the world in many different ways. Not to say that every American believes that, but the core of every culture is like that. But again, the Japanese have been so untouched by anything else that it, it permeates in ways that you don't see in other places. So what do you, what do you think are the things that strike, would strike you as 
as most different, like, you know, if you were to spend two weeks in Japan? Uh, two weeks? Just say, as a, we're talking as a tourist now rather than as, you know, someone who's come to work and leave. Well, as a tourist, it, it's, it's the signs, it's, it's the foods, it's the smells, it's the, it's the public safety. I mean, there are a few countries, and there are a few countries in the world, mostly Scandinavian, that are probably actually safer than, than Japan. But there's not a lot, maybe 10. 15 at the most, the, the safeness, the non-confrontation, the, uh, the social harmony. You can even pick it up. You know, that, 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 that's what you know, the language, the kanji everywhere. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's all exotic. After 15 years, there's not a lot of it that's exotic. I can read more kanji than probably a third to a half of my students at this point. You know? <laughs> They're still mm. learning it. So, like, um, What would you say, like... For example, I think one of the things that is really striking when you, you first arrive is you notice that basically it seems like 80 to 90% of the men are wearing suits and ties. Yes, that's the uniform. It's, everything is about uniforms here. Everybody makes a big thing. Baseball uniforms, you know, I mean, beer league teams, everybody has to have their uniform, you know. Even, even the, the standard work uniform, the one-piece jumpsuits that everybody for a certain municipality will wear. You know, even if they're sitting behind a desk, half, you know, half, the, people have, half the people working in the city hall and half the time have those one-piece jumpsuits on. Everything is about uniformity, being part of the team. And, you know, they, they love team sports. You know, join a baseball team, you get a uniform and a hat. You get to be the same as everybody else. So... Let's think a little bit more positively about Japan. Well, Just I, I can do that. I've been accused of being a basher, but I do the same. Let's, uh, okay, so I'm going to put it out there. Top five things to see or do in Japan. Top, your top five. Well, my top five, and this is probably specific to me because I was raised on the ski slopes of Vermont, a half Austrian kid. The skiing here is really nice. It's by far the best in Asia. The quality of the snow is probably outside of the Rockies, the best you will find anywhere. It's probably better than the European Alps. I think it's definitely better than Singapore. Yeah, obviously. But I mean, there's, there is some really good skiing and winter sports to be had. And that said, while we're on that theme, Japanese people are... You know, a lot of them are physically fit. You know, I've, you know, I, 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 I still have memories of this story. I went skiing with a friend of mine who's uh, now living in Tokyo. And he and I were, uh, we were weightlifting buddies. At my first job here, he was actually, he played for one of the Japanese professional football leagues. He was also a skier. And we go skiing. And one day, it's June, and we're actually skiing in a place that's not a ski area. It's just a snow-covered peak at one of the highest places. And there's still skiable area. And we kind of happened about a, a, this couple in their 60s who were skiing with us, and we all kind of got together. And we're, we were doing, one person was driving, and the other three people were skiing, and we were taking turns in doing that. And, and the lady goes, I'll show you guys a great place to do some, some skiing here. And so we walk up this mountain path. And mind you, he and I are both in our 30s, good shape. She's in her 60s, late 50s. 
early 60s. She kicks our butts walking up this mountain pass. You know, something like, about a 500, 500 meter hike up a hill. She, she's waiting there for like five minutes for us to get up there. As soon as we get up there, she lights a cigarette. And we were just both like, oh no, that's no way. You know, um, Japanese people love sports and they can afford to do a lot of different sports. A lot of fun like that. I mean, I I get to lift weights at a health club. I, I take part in local amateur sumo tournaments. We even have set up a cricket club here in Japan. So, Well, that just sounds crazy. A yeah. cricket club in Japan? Yes, absolutely. No, there are a few. In fact, there's a fairly healthy Japan Cricket Association, and we have two teams here in, in uh, Tohoku. So we have the Morioka Cricket Club and the Sendai Cricket Club. We kind of are one club, Tohoku Cricket. But hmm. And how do, the Jap- <laughs> how do the Japanese people take to cricket? Um, actually, again, um, I've seen some Japanese people who grew up on baseball. And there's crossover skills, and it happens quickly. You see, you see I've seen some Japanese people get very good very quickly because they grew up playing baseball. And if you got a good batting eye, it doesn't matter if you're a cricket. You got to learn to change your style a little bit. But if you got a good batting eye, and you got good eye hand coordination, that's for sure. You know, and, and if if you can throw a baseball ninety eight miles an hour, it's not going to be too hard to learn how to throw a, a cricket ball ninety eight miles an hour either. Unfortunately, you have to bowl it though. Yes, you do. <laughs> that was uh, that was the probably the most difficult skill. It was even, it was harder than the batting and the batting stance? Oh, absolutely. I'm still having a much harder time with bowling than I am with batting. So, so anyway, back to five. Was skiing your number five? Uh, skiing and sports will be... Uh, I, I keep, just put them in top five. Food. Food is incredible. You know, we've talked about that earlier, but... Yeah, just so many foods. I just love Asian food. I love all food in general, but... You know, there's something about Asian food. And I'm not going to pick one and say Japanese is better than Chinese and Chinese is better than Korean. I'm just going to say Asian food rocks. It's really good. Okay. How about a place? What would you say? What's, what's, a, what's a place that, uh, like a city and why, should, you know, someone just never been to Japan before, they're coming to Japan. What, what, don't miss this place. Don't miss this place. Well, it depends on what. I mean, if you're looking for outdoors... Well, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I mean, me? I do, the, the place that I want to go, that I'm burning to go to, that I've never been to before is the Seiko up in Sapporo. It's a ski area. It is considered one of the top ten ski areas for powder skiing in the world. You know, it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a huge... Well, it's a huge tourist mecca. And you'll be hearing a lot of... You'll be meeting a lot of Australians and others there too. So, which, you know... I mean, I don't like tourist traps, but it's still... The skiing is supposed to be awesome. Um, oh, God. Let's leave skiing aside. Okay. Okay, we've got our best place for skiing that you want to go. Um... But uh, just just as a tourist, let's say they're not they're not going in the in the winter there because because uh, unless you are a ski enthusiast or a snow enthusiast, you probably not want to you know probably not wanting to come to Japan in the winter because it can be kind of cold. Okay. Um, I say I mean on things that I haven't done Kyoto or Hiroshima. Uh, I'm thinking of the Tokyo. things that I haven't done yet. Well, how about something you have done? We're talking about a recommendation. Things that I have done. Well, actually, 
I've done Tokyo enough times that it's fairly commonplace. I mean, it's definitely different than the life I live here. It's kind of like New York City, though. You go to Tokyo, and for four or five days, it's the most stimulating, awesome places. The, the foods, the things you can buy, the shopping. There, there was a small adapter for my Android that I literally searched all over Morioka, which is the, the prefectural capital. Nobody had this adapter. I go down to Akihabara. I walk into the first store. I tell the guy, look, I got an Android. I need the adapter for this. He said they're right over there. And there was like eight different types of adapters that you can't get anywhere in Iwate. Interesting. Um, but, so, but for the but, electronic but, shopping, Akihabara can't be beaten, really, can it? For Perhaps electronics in the, world? in the world, I'd say you'd be hard-pressed to find anything beaten. Uh, it's not the cheapest of the cheap, but it's not overly expensive either, I'd have yeah. to say as well. It's not the, – the prices for electronics there are not, like, mind-blowing. They're not going to destroy okay. your, your wallet if you'd already budgeted to, to buy something, camera or, you know, something, something along those lines or parts. Um, but, like, the thing is, I find if I spend enough time in Tokyo, I want to get the hell out of here there after about four or five days. So that's the same for me with New York City. Well, you're not walking around feeling relaxed, are you, in Tokyo? No, you just you, you want to do so many things. It, it, after about four days, it starts to take its toll on your psyche. Tell me, we're talking about Akihabara. Yeah. Have you been to a maid cafe? Actually, no. For somebody who's been here as long as I have, I've never been to. And it's... It's not like I have a disapproving morality towards it. I mean, uh, whatever, you know. It's, well, it's not like, it's, I mean, it's, not, so, it's not a brothel, for crying out loud. They're it's expensive. Just, I mean, I, 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 can, I can think of better things that I can want to spend with my, you know, $50, $100 that it will cost you, $200. So t- tell people what, what is a maid cafe. A maid cafe, for somebody, mind you, who's never been there, it's... It's almost like a toned-down extension of the Japanese hostess bars uh, where you go and you pay money and you drink and you talk to a girl and for an hour and a half, like a, she we is call yours them, for conversation. You know, Basically, that's what they call a snack bar here. Yeah, snack bar. But then there are all different levels. Like snacks are one thing, hostess bars are another thing. There's all different levels. You know, it is all in a sense, prostitution of one form or another. I mean, the thing it's is... prostitution without I sex. mean, yeah, you can, you can go... You can go to a strip bar like you can do in any country in the world. You'd probably buy one of the women there for, you know, as long as you got the bucks. Or you can go to the cheap soap lands and have cheap contact for very little money. I mean, this, this kind of hostess thing... Uh, it kind of, I guess it, it sounds a little bit unique to Japan, and in some ways it yeah. is. But also, uh, across Asia, you'll find it. I unwittingly um, walked into a bar in Singapore that was kind of mm-hmm. like that. Um, I, I was taken there by this Dutch guy who was running the hostel. He said, let's, mm-hmm. let's go in here. That I, and uh, I was just like, well, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, well, you know, the women are, are, are there, and that they, they come and they'll laugh at your jokes and they'll give you attention and, yeah. and, and whatever. And, and, you know, obviously there are a number of, of middle-aged to older S- Singaporean men there uh, chatting and laughing. And apparently that's like the extent of it. That's, 
that sitchin at the end of the day, yeah. uh, you, you know, you pay it, you, and you don't even you don't give them money. You just pay a premium on the drinks. Like the, the drinks, the drinks at the, the you know at the karaoke bar across the road are only going to be, you know, a couple of bucks. Whereas there, they're like twenty five dollars for a beer. It mind you that these girls are good at these jobs. They're good at flirting. You know, you you go there, you spend fifty bucks, but hey, you feel good because it's good-looking girl, Chad, you know, had fun and laughed at your jokes and made you feel like a man. No, I think, I mean, in Japan especially, I think, it, it, I, I don't know, when it comes to Japanese culture and maybe to an extent Japanese men, I, I feel like there's perhaps a sort of, a little bit of loneliness there. Oh, there's a the big awkwardness. The, 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 Japan is socially awkward. It's, it's, it's a risk-averse culture. Um, anybody who's been involved with a, a Japanese person can tell you that they're they're not going to tell you. Look, your feet stink. They're not going to you know they're, they're going to go up to you and say, "Oh, you're so handsome and so brave and da 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 da." Well, well, I haven't had that. The longer you go in the relationship, the less it comes. But I, I'm just saying, Japan in general is a risk averse culture. You know, it it, it takes risks. Today, it takes risks. It's about offense, yeah. It's anything, yeah. anything to avoid offending someone. Yeah. And putting yourself in a situation where you feel bad or right. awkward. And so this is kind of a panacea for that. And that this, you don't have to take the risk. You, you dearly like to sit down and talk to that girl that's, just sitting there in the park, but you would never dare do it because you are risking getting rejected. You go to a maid cafe, you go to a hostess bar, you plug down your money, and you're not going to get rejected. Or at least you have to do some really serious social faux pas to get rejected. Well, I mean, the maid cafe is a, is a certain a, a certain strange example of that because I, I was reading one of the guidebooks when they were talking about it. And, you know, apparently they're like maid cafes where, you know, you go in there and the whole point is that the girl abuses you, like verbally abuses mm -hmm. you. So I guess there's... Uh, that, that, that's a... That's a niche. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a niche. But I don't know. I mean, I mean uh, on the level of what... What role it's taking in society is an American guy, you know, he can go to a strip bar, which is not quite so socially acceptable. What's the more socially acceptable level? And granted, it's not accepted by everybody, but he goes to Hooters. It's a little more mainstream. The American mainstream guy who doesn't want to go to a strip bar, you know, because it's quote unquote you know, where undesirables go, he will go to Hooters and get a more tamed down version. And what, what, what I think the maid cafe is doing is it is the, it is the snack bars, it's the hostess bars, it's the, 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 that more senior side of Japanese I think, culture. I think, and I also... Tone down a little bit that you can walk right in. And I, I think, to, to be honest, when I first went to Tokyo, I really wanted to be able to basically blog about the experience of going to a maid cafe because it's such a it's a cultural phenomenon yeah. yeah it's something that people kind of like if you know a little bit about Japan you know about yeah. maid cafes but to be perfectly honest I never the guts to go in there in the end but from what my understanding is the maid cafes you know because you know they're basically in Akihabara and nowhere mm -hmm. else uh, they are 
they are catering to younger clientele than, say, a snack or a hostess bar. Um, uh, Akihabara is, is known as kind of geek central, where, um, what's the word, what's the word, the Japanese word for? This special kind of Japanese geek mm. that hangs out in otaku, the Otaku. Otaku, I think that's it. But otaku tend to stay at home. And that's another thing now. There has been, a, it, it's not just happening in Japan, but it's, it's a worldwide trend that, you know, especially, it's mostly a first world trend that societies are becoming more risk averse. And it's not just Japan. Japan is the most extreme example in the first world. But we've been coddled. We've been overparented. We've, you know, in America, when I was a kid, you went out in the woods and you played and you didn't give a crap about ticks. You know, you, that's how we grew up. And now, and I, I even hear it. I'll talk to my, you know, my fellow friends, you know, in my 30s and 40s, they say kids in America nowadays, they don't go out drinking till four o'clock in the morning. You know, they don't do stuff like that. They don't, they're more risk averse. Now, Japan is just more, exacerbates that because they're risk averse culture to start with. You did mention that you've lived 18 months in Finland. Yes. yes. So what can you tell us about Finland? Because I think uh, just from knowing you personally, uh, you certainly have a great affection for Finland. Um, well, Finland was, well, definitely doesn't have the food Japan does, <laughs> uh, nor the skiing. But um, again, it was the first place I got to, well, the thing that sticks with me after all these years was the weather, the, the extreme cold, the, 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 the brilliant sunrises and sunsets because they're at that angle, the, the, uh, the, uh, the northern lights, the, the, uh, the four hours of sunshine in midwinter, the, the 20 hours of sunshine in mid-May, that, that sort of thing. Um, the Finns were interesting. In, in, in some ways, they were like the Japanese, kind of shy. I wouldn't say they're risk aversive. But, uh, they definitely found their escape in alcohol, like the Japanese do. But the Finns, unlike the Japanese, have a extreme tolerance. I remember, like the Finns, they used to have what we, what foreigners would call pass out tables. You know, you. You'd, you'd be in a drink, and, and Finn's bar, in Finland, you know, midwinter bars don't close till about 7 in the morning. And what you do is you, you'll see one table where there's a bunch of people passed out, and then you'll see them slowly rise up, get their bearings, and go right back up to the bar and drink some more whiskey. You know, you, you, Finns were an interesting culture, but they, they weren't, you know, but, but like where... They were also so different in the way that, like, the Japanese people, you know, are very indirect in the way they communicate with you. Now, a Finnish person is just as recalcitrant and shy as a Japanese person. But when you do engage a Finn in conversation, they're going to be blunt and honest with you. Blunt to the point where, like, wow, Americans are not that blunt. You know, wow, Australians are not that blunt. Well, Australians maybe, but... Okay, but they're very blunt and honest and very fluent in English usually too, you know. That's all a Scandinavia pretty much. So, but um, it's just very, very interesting, very straightforward culture, very interesting. Um, uh, 
I, I did have a very interesting, uh, what was it? I was there for 18 months, you know, and again, it was where I lost my overseas virginity, so to say. It was the so first was, country you visited outside your home? Not the first country I visited, but it was the first country I was there for any amount of time. I mean, I'm half Austrian. I would been in Austria for weeks, months, and you know, weeks at a time, maybe a month, as I was growing up. Um, that that wasn't unfamiliar. Seeing other countries has never been unfamiliar. Some of my earliest memories are of Switzerland and Germany and, and Austria. No wonder um, you love to ski. Well, yeah, you know. The, my father came over. He skiing was how my parents met. My father was a ski instructor. My mother was one of his students. So it's uh, it's that age old story. Ski instructor meets girl, falls in love. Girl falls out of love with ski instructor. Ski instructor gets girl back. They get married. They have Dean. Uh, not quite like that, but you're on the right path. Yeah, something along those lines. <laughs> Dean, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. It's been fantastic talking You're to welcome. you. You're uh, welcome. This is the sound of two hands shaking. Okay. And uh, last question that I'm going to ask everyone on this podcast. Uh, one country that you dearly love to visit in the world that you haven't visited yet. God, there are so many. But I'm going to have to go with... India. India. Love the food. I don't know if I'll love it when I get over there. Uh, enough of a cricket player. I've met enough interesting Indians in my life. It's a place I'd really like to give a look-see to. It's the one thing that I say. If, if, if anyone was out to ask me, the one country that I think, you know, it's just like you must visit in your lifetime, it's India. Yeah. Because you'll learn so much. You'll experience so much. You will be amazed. You will be horrified. You, you, the extremes. It's the anti-Japan. All the extremes. You get. Uh, you get so I much don't history and. I was going to say it's the anti-Japan. It's just the diversity, the history, the extremes. It's um, it's the most confronting. Yeah. Country that you can go to, but it's also the one that makes you think most about the world, yourself, and your own country. Dean, yes. H. Ritzler, thank you very much. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Dean. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. And next week on the World Journeys podcast, episode three, I am talking to Maxime Savard, who uh, is a French-Canadian living in Ichinoseki, Iwate, Japan. Um... And he was living, uh, he was living coastal, or near enough, uh, back in 2011, in March, when the Great Tohoku Earthquake and subsequent tsunami hit. So, um, please do come back for and download uh, episode 3 next Friday. Um, it's a very interesting, uh, very honest uh, interview about uh, about what happened and uh, you know what life was like after you know the, the the weeks after the tsunami for Maxim and his family um, and I think it's a really interesting podcast so please come back and and have a listen to that um, 
And in the meantime, why not check out uh, some of my blog writings? That's worldjourneysdiscover.wordpress.com where you can find all my blogs and links to my ebooks. And please do follow me um, on Twitter at worldjourneys75. Thanks again for tuning in. May the journey never end.